0: This is a Clark University podcast.
1: Is it possible to not prefer one thing over the other? I think it's hard, right? Like, that's one of the realities of just being human. It's part of the human condition and judges are no different. As much as they may wanna shed that reality and as much as we may want them to shed those realities of being human, they're not machines, right? They're not not machines. And nor do I think we actually want our judges and justices to be machines. Law is something that governs human behavior, and human behavior is dynamic and is interesting and changes over time. And I think we want those preferences brought to the table.
0: That's Jonathan Hack, the Director of Content and Strategy for the Justice, Health, and Democracy Impact Initiative out of Harvard University. It was during his undergraduate years at Clark University that Hack became curious about the behind the scenes conversations that lead to court decisions. After graduating from Clark in 2009, Hack received a PhD in political science from the George Washington University focused on American politics, specifically judicial behavior and decision-making. He's also taught courses in constitutional law and judicial behavior. We want to note that views expressed by Hack in this episode are his own and do not necessarily reflect those of the president and fellows of Harvard.
1: I just found the strategic conversations that happened in the background more interesting. Not to say that there aren't important things that are happening in the foreground between judges and lawyers, justices and lawyers. But for me, it was a question of, what's happening behind that cloak I think we saw that most recently with the leaked decision, right? Like there was a draft that was circulated, but that draft goes to the other chambers. That's not the final word necessarily. The other justices weigh in, there are edits, there are changes. I'm interested in studying courts, but I don't necessarily want to do all of those things that judges or lawyers do on a day-to-day basis. I wanna be an outside observer.
0: Hack is referencing Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the largest abortion case before the Supreme Court in decades. A leaked draft of the majority opinion was published by Politico on May 2nd. The leak offered a rare glimpse into the judicial decision-making process. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change.
1: If you think about the federal judiciary, there are three layers. There are the district courts, there are the courts of appeal, and then there's the Supreme Court. The district courts being the courts of first instance, where cases get initiated. They're really interested in ac- answering questions of facts, trying to find out what happened. From a district court, we move up a level to the US courts of appeal. And those are those. are these are these intermediate courts that sit between the district courts and the US Supreme Court. They're judges that sit together on panels when they make their decisions and they're answering questions of law, right? Like, was this a legal thing to do? What are the contours of free speech? Bigger, broader legal questions that have ramifications. And those are judges that decide together. And then when you move up to the final level, assuming you get there right through the process of petitioning the Supreme Court for certiorari for review, you have the nine justices who are sitting there and making their decisions. And the interesting thing about the Supreme Court is its discretionary docket. Almost all of the cases that it hears, they choose to hear. They make the decision whether or not to hear the case. Inherently, you have more discretion And when you have more discretion, when you're not limited by sentencing guidelines, when you're not limited by a judge, a jury, a verdict, very, you know, set cut guidelines to some extent, as you move up and you get these bigger questions and you have more discretion in your ability to choose a case, in the conversations you have about the case and like the questions being asked, you're answering new questions where there isn't a charted course. And so discretion just begins to play a bigger role there.
0: Generally speaking, there are four categories for considering influences on judicial decision making.
1: The legalist model, which is where we generally start, is this idea that the judges don't really matter, right? It's law. Law is the process of like looking at precedent, applying precedent to new cases, making decisions. It's a scientific application of previous decision making to new decision making, and we get an outcome. I'm sure you can begin to see where there are problems with that approach. Um, If that were the case, we would expect more unanimous decisions than we do see, and we wouldn't necessarily expect to see so many contentious issues, and we wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about the personalities of judges. The attitudinal model is the idea that judges have political preferences. Judges and justices are no different than you and me. (laughs) They have political affiliations, they vote, they have ideas on what should or should not be, they have what they want to see as policy, and those they bring to the bench. The judges bring, or the justices, bring their judicial preferences to decision-making. So if I have a strong position on, you know, whether or not we should be tougher on crime or more compassionate on crime, I'm going to bring those preferences with me to the table. If you know a judge's political leanings, Or at least, you know, if they're conservative or liberal, you can, in most cases, predict what the outcome is going to be. In contrast to that are these two other models, the institutional model and the strategic model. The institutional model says that, yeah, you're right. OK, we take as premise that judges do have preferences, that judges do have outcomes they want to see. But within that, there are rules to the game, right? A judge can't, by fiat, by command, just say, like, this is the outcome especially when you sit on a bench with colleagues. So, right, you have to navigate those preferences, right? You can't always take the case you want, right? The Supreme Court, although it has the ability to decide which cases it wants to hear through that cert process and through the discretionary docket, it has to wait for somebody to bring it to it. In tandem with that, or what complements that institutionalist view about the rules is this idea of strategic decision-making. And that goes back to the idea of, right, you're sitting with colleagues on a bench And you have to marshal people in order to have a majority. Sometimes you inherently have a majority. There's an agreement, you're all on the same page. That's great, right? You can go ahead and write your decision a little bit less, you know, concerned that you will not have a majority with you. But in other cases, maybe it's a close decision. Maybe you're sitting at four and you potentially could get a fifth one to join with you. And so right there's navigating those personalities on the bench and just thinking about what is and isn't achievable.
0: The current Supreme Court is different than any other in recent history.
1: We definitely have individuals with very strong preferences who want to see specific outcomes, and at least it seems like there's openings for them to make decisions that may or may not have been possible 10, 15, 25 years ago. Given the the current line of reasoning and the line of reasoning that we've been seeing since some of the first cases that had to do with reproductive rights and that have to do with freedom and have to do with privacy. Given the trajectory that we've been on, as much as it pains me to say this, I think we're marching towards a very specific outcome, which is, if not the obliteration of some of the freedoms that were established in Roe, at least a very, very, very severe restriction of them in a way that we haven't seen.
0: Hack believes the key to good judging comes down to balance.
1: What I think is really the goal that we want from good judging is the intersection between what my preferences are, what I think is good for society, what I think navigates a good middle road, applying precedent to current cases so that there's consistency within the law, bringing your preferences, because we all know judges have them and they're bringing them to the table to some extent, thinking about the structures and the rules and the games, like what does this mean for appending law and things going forward if you make a decision one way or the other, and also navigating the preferences of your fellow judges. I think when you take a holistic picture, right, we want all of those to intersect at some point or to interact at one point and hopefully produce good decisions. But again, good is a loaded term because it's good when I, as a member of the public, get the decision I think is the right decision. We might be moving into a world where those universal freedoms as established at a federal level are no longer the baseline. And now we have regional differences, very, very, very strong regional differences.
0: Hack was driving when the Dobbs draft opinion leaked. I pulled over
1: because this is a big deal. This is a big deal for a, a not just for, you know, us as a nation, not just for the court as an institution, but it's a big deal for thinking about judicial decision making broadly, you know, as a political scientist, as somebody who wants to try to get in the mind of the, the justices or at the very least be able to like look over their shoulders while they're doing what they're doing. This is like the closest thing we have to somebody outright telling us, you know, where things are. This is a hot button issue. It's a flashpoint in our politics. And we have very vocal voices on both sides. And it's just one more example of polarization, politicization, and the realities of the American political system right now, which is always hard when you reflect on, right, wanting to have a democratic society where we reach things through consensus, where we work together. If you think about the road to same-sex marriage, it started with Massachusetts and then slowly spread to other states and then ultimately like, made its way up through the federal system and we got a blanket freedom that exists throughout the United States. And that's an area where federalism really was great, right? It was a chance to experiment. A state, a commonwealth was a, liber- was a laboratory of democracy and then that spread throughout the rest of the country as public opinion moved in a different direction. This, we might see the opposite. You're going to see a patchwork of yeses and a patchwork of noes and a patchwork, right, of like purple. And then there's just inconsistency across the country. On some level, maybe that's a good thing, right? Maybe that'll help lessen some of the tensions around these issues of polarization and politicization that we are seeing. When you pull things out of people's hands, you begin to get into that gray area of freedom. I see it as an interesting balancing act. The less choice people have, you begin to question, well, what are the foundations of democracy then?
0: To learn more about political science at Clark, visit ClarkU.edu political-science. Challenge Change is produced by Melissa Hansen and Andrew Hart for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: One, two, three. Clark!